Well, hello. Hi. Welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. And we're here to talk to you about true crime. True crime. We've had, we just had a long conversation about <laughs> political things. It was about a lot of stuff. We Lizard were just talking clothes. about cow fashion. <laughs> Sad cowgirl styles, that I like to call it. <laughs> um, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. We've got a great show for you. I forgot that I pulled up a news thing before this. Um, This is going to be a fun one to lighten the mood of 2020's election year. (laughs) No, it's not. No? No. Oh, mine's fun. Mine's not. Mine's fun. Mine's not. Oh, boy. Sorry, guys. Okay, well, we'll start with a fun one and end with a heavy one. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But first, we're going to head over to the newsroom. So our news today takes us to South Carolina. Do you love South Carolina? And Taco Bell. Taco Bell, okay. White people tacos, but I can deal with it. So there's so there's a 24-year-old man named Matthew Scott Russell who fled the scene of an intentional hit-and-run accident and then went into a nearby Taco Bell. And he basically started doing some really weird shit in this Taco Bell. Which is the only place to do weird shit. (laughs) Is it a Taco Bell or a Menards? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. True. Um, So when he got into the Taco Bell, they say he allegedly punched a customer, attempted to kiss a a pregnant woman and touch her stomach, and at one point took off his pants and began humping a customer's leg. Was he on PCP? (laughs) Um, yes. Wait, I don't know wait, if it was, yes. I don't know if it was on PCP, but he was under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Okay. That sounds like a PCP. Yeah. Move. They definitely called the police, <laughs> but in order to stop him, the customers restrained him by tying his hands behind his back with they garbage. sprayed hot sauce in his face. <laughs> they tied his hands behind his back with garbage bags. Okay. And then they also, um, attempted to like, Put him in a trash can to stop him from forced run- him to eat all the nachos from running away. <laughs> so they tied him up with trash bags and then put him in a trash can to stop him from running away and called the police. So he has a bunch of charges <laughs> that he got in like half an hour, including assault, indecent exposure, public disorderly conduct, and false information. Um, because also, he gave touching them- the belly of a pregnant woman should be a fucking crime. Yeah, but he gave them a pair of false names before giving them his actual name. That always works, guys. So, 100% of the time, all the time. Good luck to you, sir, in your ongoing legal troubles that will be ongoing for a hot minute. Really, honestly, there's so many more weapons in Taco Bell that they didn't utilize. Like? Hot sauce. Crunch wraps. <laughs> Crunch wraps. <laughs> It's like a fucking frisbee of death. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so heavy. So heavy. <laughs> Next. Full of beans. <laughs> we're we're going to move on to Netflix and kill. Uh, this week, it's more of an HBO and kill. 
because we're talking about McMillions. You can see a theme coming out here, I think. Oh, can we? Mm. Um, So McMillions is a series on HBO about the McDonald's Monopoly game and the big time fraud that happened on it. Yeah, I don't participate in any of that shit. (laughs) It was... So the game ran from 1989 to 2001. However, basically between 90 and 2001, there were no legitimate winners of the game at all. Except for a small fry and an ice cream cone and a Big Mac. (laughs) So it's fraud that totals $24 million. And it is all thanks to ex-police officer Jerry Jacobson and a couple of other people who helped him. There's a strange mob connection um, where he was like, he worked for the security staff for the media, the marketing company that ran the game for McDonald's. Okay. And so he was able to sell somehow get the game pieces, the winning game pieces, sell them to this mobster guy, also named Jerry. And Jerry and Jerry. Yeah. Jerry and Jerry. It it's becomes, like a sitcom. It's an interesting piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would go and sell them to other people. So the FBI started looking into this and they did some like undercover stings and were looking into the people that were winning the millions to try and track down who this Jerry guy was. Now, the thing I love about this is HBO has like this certain flair when they do documentaries and this one's really fun okay? because they have a lot of the FBI agents that were originally working on this case and the guy... The, the young, kind of new, fresh FBI agent, whose name I forget, is fucking hilarious. And he's just like, he's so funny. He's so funny. And just like, kind of a really charismatic guy in telling the story. But it's crazy. The breadth of like fraud that was happening with just these game pieces. I'm not surprised. And it's all, it's the things like the cars and the million dollar prizes that were being sold and people were winning that weren't winning it legitimately. Mm-hmm. So it's a great documentary. It's only six episodes, so it's it's only six hours nice and, long. It's nice and tight. <laughs> um but definitely check it out. It's on HBO. I highly recommend it if you want something a little lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh because so much of this stuff can get really I feel like I've been watching a lot of really heavy oh, like yeah stuff recently. It's not Netflix and kill. It's Netflix and cry. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, So this is a nice little refresher Mm -hmm. to kind of get out of here. If you still want something true crime that isn't like gonna bring you down for six days after watching it, then check out McMillions on HBO. Yeah, you know, us empaths over here. Yeah. Just feel it all. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Janelle. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what we're talking about today? Do I? Do do you? (laughs) I sure do. Oh, okay. As you bite into an appropriate piece of food for this discussion. I just wanted a little chocolate. Exactly. Well, you're not going to want chocolate after I tell you my story. That's really unfortunate. It is, isn't it? (laughs) So I decided to revisit food crimes because I've had food on my mind a lot lately. Um I'm, Is there any particular reason for that? <laughs> I'm back in grad school because you know me, I like to overachieve and have eight degrees and always busy and never have time to sleep. <laughs> Humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> I'm going to be overeducated. Um, 
So the work that I'm doing right now is about like food nostalgia and weird food ways and like it's actually amazing. Food. I kind of love it. It's pretty ridiculous. I've been getting into paper making and trying to like combine paper making and painting together. And so I've just had food on my brain nonstop, just like thinking about old food, new food, all the food. So I'm like, we should revisit food crimes because obviously. <laughs> They're the best crimes. I mean, it's one of our favorites, for sure. Yes. For sure. So, and who doesn't like food? I mean, if you don't like food, you should probably turn this off and just fuck off forever, because I don't want to talk to you. No. <laughs> Harsh. Fair. Agree. Harsh. Hot take, but I agree. Hot takes. Oh, I forgot to tell you, um, I have a soapbox now <laughs> that I'm going to start bringing. So every time do I you a, really? I do. Oh it's my a God. small soapbox. Every time I have a soapbox moment, I'm going to bring out my soapbox so that you know. Okay. This is Janelle. So that I'm prepared for it. Okay. So, um, just for the future. Uh, I decided to do food crimes, and I had this on my list of crimes that I was looking at for a while because it's such a ridiculous fucking case, and I just love it so much. Okay. Vicky, are you familiar with chocolate creams? No. Okay, so what you just ate was basically a chocolate cream. We have Mercy chocolates on our our desk. Okay. Um, They are a particularly very, very British chocolate that is filled with a delicious interior, kind of like a Cadbury egg, um, but varies in flavors. Yeah. Well, it's not like like your standard filling where it's like really like drainy like liquidy or like (laughs) i know i don't know how to describe it but it's a very like firm Mm -hmm. filling yeah so they're very very popular thing that was super popular around the turn of the century and really for the longest time only accessible to the rich because chocolate was expensive um but during the victorian age in britain there was kind of a scare that almost put chocolate cream producers out of business damn and set off years of people fearing to eat something that was made by somebody else i mean part of me is kind of like but do the rich deserve it they're they're the only we just i I think in the last episode we were like eat the rich the rich deserve it but the people who were dying were not rich people (laughs) unfortunately okay okay because this is when chocolate started becoming accessible by everybody gotcha um but this is the case of the chocolate cream killer Christiana oh. Edmonds. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. This is going to be very Agatha Christie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Christiana Edmonds was born in 1828 in Margate in Kent, which is a fairly nice place. She had a very privileged upbringing. When she was young, she was diagnosed with hysteria, which, if you're not familiar... Hysteria is one of my favorite old-timey diagnoses, because it's it's total bullshit. It's a catch-all. It's a catch-all diagnosis for women who had any and every kind of symptom you could ever think of. Anxiety, shortness of breath, fainting, insomnia, irritability, nervousness, and promiscuity. It's basically like, (laughs) if you're a woman, you're diagnosed with hysteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is if someone is promiscuous. Like, if a woman enjoys having sex, she's hysterical. Yeah, but not a man. No. Well, color me fucking hysterical, okay? Well, color me hysterical. <laughs> color me hysterical. Oh, my gosh. Um, She, unfortunately, (laughs) was more than hysterical. She actually did have legitimate mental issues. She was described by people as being this very, very beautiful and talkative, approachable woman, uh, very down to earth. 
1860, she was in her 40s and still living with her mother, unmarried, didn't have any suitors. They decided to move to Brighton together, so she would kind of be her mother's keeper, so to speak. During this time, Christiana allegedly became involved with a doctor by the name of Charles Beard. Ooh, a doctor. A doctor. Indeed. Uh, I say allegedly because she was declared mentally unstable and her version of the relationship may have been a little bit more exaggerated than what actually happened. According to Christiana, the relationship was sexual in nature and lasted about a year before Beard wanted to end it. She continued to try to persuade him otherwise and would write him letters a great deal of the time, like very much... Victorian professing your love, like, yeah. oh, my love, my love, I want to hold your hand, kind of a thing. Oh. I want you to peep at my ankles. Yes. I want to take a gallivant around the library with you. <laughs> um, so on and so forth. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> now, later that year in September, Edmonds decided to kind of take matters into her own hands. He was rejecting her continually but to be perfectly honest there's a lot of controversy uh, according to some of the court documents that you can kind of read of whether or not their relationship was really as much as they say it is and i'll go into it a little bit later but just keep that in mind as i'm talking about the rest of this case <laughs> now edmonds went around to a few few local chocolate shops and bought up some egg creams um she then made a house visit to Dr. Beard's wife, Mrs. Beard, and brought her a gift of a box of chocolate egg creams, which is kind of like a really wonderful hostess gift that you can yeah, get at the time. Yeah. Mrs. Beard ate the shit out of them because who is not going <laughs> to fucking deny a box of chocolate, fancy fucking expensive egg creams? And she immediately became ill upon doing so. Oh, no. Dr. Beard accused Christiana of poisoning his wife, but she denied this. Mrs. Beard recovered, and the Beards did nothing against Edmonds besides banishing her from their home. So she was okay. like, don't ever fucking come over here again. Don't bring your shitty-ass egg creams. Damn. <laughs> like, so, <clears throat> it was now 1871, and Christiana Edmonds was still on her same bullshit, buying up egg creams all over the town. She was just like, egg creams, I love them. Buy me some more. Um, however, she would begin returning them to the vendors, stating that they were not good and not up to snuff. Oh, boy. Who returns chocolates? It's weird. <laughs> Already open? Well, the way that things were kind of given out back yeah. then is like it was all like open cases. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no prepackaging. There's all open cases. You go and pick what you want. They just dump it into a fucking bag with their hands. They don't wash their hands. There's nothing, right. There's no fucking sanitation. It's yeah. just like, ooh, I'm just going to like go to the bathroom oh and touch gosh. your food and put it in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's gross. So, it's I'm so gross. glad we have like hygiene practices now. Yeah, I mean, in theory. <laughs> In theory, people wash their I mean, hands now. Yeah, They're please, aware that germs exist <laughs> and are a thing and yes. are real on a microscopic level. But there's still people who do not wash their hands. People, so. don't be gross. Wash your hands. Wash your fucking hands. <laughs> you don't have to use hand sanitizer, but at least wash your hands. Yes. So, she began returning them, saying that they were just no bueno. And because it was the olden times and nobody had any standards, the egg creams were then resold. Okay. We're not going to throw away perfectly good chocolates. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. We're going to visually inspect them with our eyes and then put them back in the case for somebody else to buy. Mm. Hmm? Yes. <laughs> okay. So Edmonds had been lacing the chocolates with strychnine, 
which she had brought from a dentist, stating it was to kill alley cats. Which, totally normal. Makes sense. Yep. The dentist actually started thinking that she was killing, this is the best part, she was killing too many cats because she was buying up so much strychnine. Uh, She's like, you killed too many cats. Oh, my God. So the dentist decided. (laughs) Wow. The dentist. You have a cat killing problem, I think. I feel like you're killing too many alley cats. Oh, my God. Uh, So the dentist decided not to give her any more strychnine, which she then started buying from somebody else, which was a milliner. If you're not familiar with what a milliner is, they are a hat maker. And this was back when hats were made with really horrible fucking chemicals that would drive hat makers insane, which is what mad as a hatter comes from. So things like lead, pure cadmium, strychnine, all for your fancy fucking top hat. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) very fun. Um, the milliner was like, sure, I'll give you strychnine. No questions asked. Here you go. Um, yeah. So vendors started getting... Everything uh, was so much easier back then. Right? You could just buy poison. Yeah. No receipts. Yeah. That's like Nobody when you shit. subscribe to your cocaine. Oh, or fuck prescribe yeah. prescribe cocaine for like... Ugh. Cocaine morphine mix. Ugh. For headaches. Everything. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Snort it, inject it. It is the cure all. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, it's too. It's it was too much. the best of much. times. It was the worst of times. It's <laughs> gonna be my catchphrase from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so vendors started getting a little suspicious of her. She kept coming back with chocolates, constantly being like, "This is not what I ordered." Um, so Edmund started paying young boys off the street to purchase chocolates for her and return them to the vendors. Now, if you know anything about large towns at this time in the late 1800s, poverty was exceptionally rampant. Orphanages weren't really a thing, and children lived on the fucking street. This is before the orphan trains. Exactly. And this was in England, so it was even worse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So children lived on the street. They fought. They scrapped. They stole. They did what they could. Yeah. So she was paying them to purchase chocolates and return them. Not a bad gig for a little kid who has no home and no food. (laughs) So in June of 1871, a four-year-old named Sidney Albert Barker was on holiday with his family and died suddenly, supposedly, from eating chocolates from a shop called Maynard's. This was on Brighton beach area, like a vacation place. The Brighton coroner, David Black, ruled the death natural causes, although it would later be quote-unquote confirmed. I say confirmed because they didn't actually go back and like do tests. They were just like in the newspaper, confirmed that it was death due to poisoning. I love that even like as a four-year-old, it would be considered natural causes. Like, yeah. Is it though? But I mean, if you think at the time. Yeah, they had really... Children dying all the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> True, true. Yeah, so it's, you know, oh, it, was, it was a rough go at four years that old. That mortality rate, it was great. <laughs> yeah, so after the coroner's inquiry, Christiana, of all fucking people, came forward to offer evidence describing how chocolates that she brought to Mrs. Beard the year before made her became ill, and she bought them also from Maynard's. Oh my gosh. <gasps> what a coinky-dink. This is, she's really playing the long game here. She is. So the investigation now turned to the sweet shop, and traces of strychnine were found in some of its chocolates. So they were like, okay, well, obviously, there's some sort of something cross-contamination happening. 
Edmonds then started sending boxes of tainted chocolates to prominent people in the community. She sent Mrs. Beard another box of fucking tainted chocolate. And this bitch ate them and got sick again. At that point, I'd be like, am I just allergic to chocolate, though? Right? And just stop eating anything that anybody also, sends me. Also, you got sick from chocolate. I'd be like, maybe I shouldn't eat chocolate again. Right. Right. Or at least chocolate that I don't get. Like, right? she's just getting chocolate from some somebody. Somebody's just randomly, without a name, sending you a box of chocolate? Like, right. dude, don't eat it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, police started to finally connect the dots with the chocolates being poisoned. Now, this clever little cunt... I'm going to say, because in Britain, that's totally acceptable. Um, I don't mind in any way. Good. Because it's a very different connotation in there in that yeah. country than it is here. That's yeah. clever little cat. Sent a box to herself as well. Yeah. Okay. okay. She's, she's that is really clever. That is pretty clever. Yeah. Game. So she would tell everyone, I mean everyone, that she was poisoned from these chocolates. She's like, oh my god, I bought chocolates from Maynard's as well, and I was poisoned. After she had told the police that she bought chocolates from somebody else, and they became poisoned. So, a little fishy-fishy to the story. After she sent it to herself, Dr. Beard started getting a little bit pissed. He was pissed that his dumb wife fell victim to the poisoned chocolates, not once, but twice. So he went to the police. Edmonds was arrested and charged with attempted murder of Mrs. Beard and the murder of the young boy, Sidney Albert Barker. Just like that. Just like that. Lickety split. Uh, the trial began in 1872 and was highly sensationalized. That actually doesn't surprise me. Everything back then yeah. was like so oh sensationalized. Over the top. The drawings of the trial are really great. Um, you should look them up. They made her have like this crazy set of eyes. Like she looked like she was staring daggers at people. During the trial, Edmund's poor old mother testified that there was a history of mental illness in their family and that Christiana was absolutely cuckoo bananas. She stated that her father had gone mad before he had died. She also said that her sister had committed suicide and that her brother had died in an insane asylum. Wow. So not a great family history. The prosecution suggested that after her attempt to kill Emily Beard failed, she started on her subsequent poisoning spree around Brighton because she wanted to blame Maynard's for the poisonings and get back into the good doctor's graces. When Dr. Beard was called to testify, he stated he never had a relationship with her, but was just nice to her. Now, this is where the contention comes. The defense argued against this, stating that there were several correspondences between them that proved a whole lot of fucking flirtation. Okay. I mean, shameless, shameless flirtation. Yeah, yeah. I'm a shameless flirt, so by these standards, um, I too would then have relationships with every person I've ever talked to or met. True. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it's hard to say whether or not they really had more of a relationship that was led on by Beard. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. It definitely sounded like there was some trepid hold handing, like uh, handing of handing, holding, holding hand, hands, hand, hand holding. holding. <laughs> we'll get there. There was trepid hand holding. Mm. I wasn't able to obtain. Yes, yes. Just fingertips just on fingertips. Yeah. Walks around. The I wish parlor. you could visually see what I'm doing. It was yes. a very dainty little handhold. Mm-hmm. So, according to uh, newspapers, 
the letters that they sent to each other were like juicy, juicy, flirtatious Victorian letters. I couldn't get a hold of any or yeah. any, you know, even a, a description of it in the newspaper. But according to the accounts, it did sound like they were seeing each other, at least like going and seeing each other. And there was a lot of like, my love, my love in letters. Oh, my you know what God. I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised that they did have a... By Victorian standards, sexual relationship. A very lurid relationship. Small pecks upon the cheek. Oh my gosh. Scandalous! Flashing of ankles and decolletages. (gasps) Oh gosh. (laughs) So Edmonds was convicted of the crimes and sentenced to death. Wow. Due to her mental state, they decided to have a final examination of her. She was sentenced to hang but then claimed quickly that she was pregnant. Right? Was she actually pregnant? Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Continue. The sentence could not be carried out, and then a doctor had to examine her, of course. In the examination, they realized she was not pregnant. Okay. Of course Um, not. She was lying. This bitch. This bitch. She was lying. The sentence was then changed to life in an asylum after a psychologist examined her. Which is, like, part of me is, like, that's also as good as a death sentence. It really, really. is. Especially 1870s yes. style of yes. asylum. Yeah. You're gonna die. Uh, however, she lived a pretty long life in that insane asylum. Edmonds was sent to Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane. Uh, Broadmoor housed killers of all sorts. Uh, baby batterers, rapists, arsonists, anything and everything. This place was really fascinating and has a really interesting backstory of its own that's worth looking into. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of like crazy fucking insane asylum bullshit, yes, look am. up Broadmoor in Brighton. Um, Edwin's, Edmonds would remain in Broadmoor the rest of her life. There are many tales of her making passes at doctors and nurses and other inmates in there. There's like really interesting uh newspaper articles that take a look back at some cases and hers was involved in there and as well as just looking back at how Broadmoor has developed over the years it's really fascinating it appears that her sexual proclivities were exacerbated by being institutionalized Um, she would try to basically have a relationship or fuck everyone that she ever saw or met in the institution (laughs) doctors inmates anybody on September 19th of 1907, at 78, after being in Broadmoor for 35 years, Edmonds died of natural causes. That's impressive. It's pretty impressive That's that impressive. she survived that long in that fucking institution. Right. Now, I want to kind of go back and talk about some weird issues with the case that kind of came up as I was reading about it. And the first one is... The fact that Dr. Beer did not come forward about his wife's poisoning until over a year later. Okay. So that's a little suspicious to me. If you did not have sexual relations with that woman, (laughs) why, in fact, would you wait a year? So did he just not tell anybody that she was dead for a year? Oh, she wasn't dead. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he didn't tell anybody that his wife was poisoned by the chocolates that Edmonds had given her. They kept it between That's themselves, a weird. right? Yeah. Isn't that weird? So to me that says that maybe that there was more of a relationship that he let on and he wanted to keep it quiet because it's the Victorian times and right, yeah. scandal. 
Um, there is also speculation that the boy who died, Sydney, did not die of poisoning, um, but instead died because it was the Victorian era and children just didn't fucking survive. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, the it, natural causes that he was Exactly. It might have just given. been purely coincidental that right. he had chocolates and then died. Because other people also ate chocolate from the same box. And it was fine. And didn't die or get sick. Yeah. But also she wasn't. Like, she wasn't poisoning whole boxes. She was poisoning single chocolates. Okay. So it's hard to say yeah. really what happened with that child. Yeah. Um, not only that, but accidental poisonings were actually super-duper fucking common at this time and actually a really bad rampant problem. I guess I didn't realize that poisonings were such a bad issue. Mm-hmm. Health standards at this time were extremely low and pretty much non-existent. Accidental yeah. poisonings from cross-contamination of rat poison was the most common cause of accidental poisonings. Damn. Rat poison is fucking strychnine. Yeah. So yeah. she was poisoning people with strychnine. So it's like, it's not... This is not an uncommon thing. Also, technically, according to a lot of people, because there's like a Reddit page for this case and a lot of other, you know, speculative articles, Edmonds didn't have a motive to start randomly poisoning fucking chocolates everywhere. According to some people. Right? Why would you go from going towards one person and then trying to poison a bunch of people to cover your tracks. They didn't, they said it yeah. didn't really make sense. I mean, I can see that, but at the same time, it's like, if it's a you, good cover. It's a, it's a really good cover. If you're to trying blame it on to, the chocolate shop. Exactly. Exactly. So, I think it makes sense. Like I said, long game. She was playing the long game. Exactly. Most people are just trying to see it. Like, well, she was this jilted lover and wanted to get back at him. So she tried to poison the wife and that was that. And then it just so happened that other people started to die from poisonings. I think it's a cover story, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I can definitely see it being a cover story. Mm -hmm. story. Especially the little kids were like, yeah, that lady paid me to go buy chocolates for her and then told me to take them back. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cover story. (laughs) And lastly, the evidence was very circumstantial in reality. I mean, she was going to a bunch of different chocolate shops. She did only mention Maynard's in her, you know, story, but she was going to other chocolate shops and poisoning them. So I don't know about circumstantial. There's a lot of witnesses, a lot of like, there's no reason for a child to really lie about, you know, receiving money for buying chocolates for somebody and returning them. Right. Or the milliner and the dentist also saying that they gave strychnine to her. She was mentally unstable. This is not super out of the realm of possibility. I mean, if she was truly insane, as was stated by the psychologists and the hospital, a poisoning spree is not out of out of question. I don't think that Dr. Beard was truthful about the relationships with Christiana at all. I do think that there was something more to it and that she was pushed to react in this way. Um, Now, if you want to learn more about the story, there is a really amazing six-episode British TV series from the 70s called Wicked Women that was part of Saturday Night Theater, and it tells the story of a host of sinister British women. They did an amazing episode about Christiana Edmonds, which is worth a watch. You can actually watch the entire fucking thing on YouTube. Ooh, There's a link. Nice. I put it in here so you can watch it. It's delightful and cheesy, very 70s. It's like an hour long. It's really great. I really prefer these kind of like British murder mystery shows. They're over the so US good. Ones. They're it's so good. So fucking great. 
<laughs> you agree, Agro? Hi, Podcast Kitten. <laughs> He's like, yes, the British television shows are much better. Bye, Podcast Kitten. <laughs> um, there's also a 1939 novel called The the Black Spectacles by John Dickinson Carr, which is based on this case. I don't know why it's called The Black Spectacles, but it is. Um, and then there's another made-for-TV British movie called The Great Chocolate Murders, which is pretty good to chocolate uh, chocolate out to check out. <laughs> but also chocolate to chocolate it out. out. Ooh. <laughs> um, I am so punny. And then there was a play actually produced in London Aww. not too long ago about this case. So there's a lot of really fun, reactive stories to the chocolate cream murders. But um, it's definitely worth checking out that Wicked Women series. Yeah. And the, um, the newspaper article that I posted... Uh, in here is really really fun and you should definitely uh read it because it talks about broadmoor in great length and that yeah. place was fucking nuts mm-hmm. it's like the most insane mental hospital story i have ever heard oh my gosh so that is the case of christiana edmonds so fun the chocolate cream killer <laughs> <laughs> sorry just had to go on the high note you know Well, I guess it's good that we went on a high note because we're about to get real low. Oh, God. I'm going to have a chocolate egg cream. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, so much so that I am going to put a content warning. Oh, no. Yeah. Content may Why not be appropriate. Why are going to ruin my fun episode? For all <laughs> listeners, we're going to be talking about... Am I going to throw this chocolate back up? <laughs> Maybe. Ew, Vicky. No. No, I don't think so. We're going to be talking about murder, and it is food-related, mm-hmm. although it kind of starts with food and then ends with murder. Someone gets stabbed with pizza. That would be amazing and also really sad because you'd have to like have a burnt fucking pizza. You'd have to have like the fucking frozen Jack's pizza. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Always too crispy. Uh, No, we're going to be talking about the Witt family. And the bulk of this research comes from Hilma Marie Witt versus State of Indiana on appeal. So it's from a lot of We're back in Indiana, huh? Back in Indiana. I don't know what it is about Indiana right now, but... So the Witt family, consisting of Hilma Marie, her husband Paul Witt, and their two sons, Eric and John, it wasn't like the most ideal situation that they were in. Um, Starting in 1979, Hilma began expressing a desire to leave Paul because he was physically abusive to her and both of their sons. And the family was... Very good reason. mm -hmm, And they were in this kind of like increasingly worse financial situation. What year did you say it was again? Uh, 1979. Okay, so So, still not an appropriate time for you to get divorced. Still kind of a little questionable. Kind of, yeah. It was getting easier, but at the same time, even like abuse um, Mm -hmm. wasn't being talked about. (laughs) Abuse wasn't talked about until what? 99 <laughs> if that yeah if that, yeah um so they their financial situation was just getting worse and worse and worse and so she was really looking for a way out and at some point during the summer of 1981 hilma had pretty much decided that paul had to be killed oh because zero to 10 <laughs> yeah because she thought that the property settlement that she would get from the divorce wasn't going to be substantial enough to be able to support her and her sons. Right. So instead, murder was insurance. What is she much opted better. for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so 
the appeal itself mentions a time when the Wits had taken out a loan in order to purchase some furniture, but Hilma instead had decided to use it for something else. Like she just like luxury car, the, the loan <laughs> money, and used it on other purchases. And of course, Paul was like getting angry and continuously asking about when is this furniture that you bought gonna show up? Um, which obviously it wasn't going to because she hadn't bought it and so it sounds to me like faced with this threat of paul finding out that she hadn't actually bought the furniture um she decided that that was kind of her time to put this plan into place and so she started lacing paul's food with rat poison and valium Ooh, which the hell of a trick. It sounds like, and that's a weird combination of things. Like, I don't think that's something you would normally see in poisonings, but she was under the impression that Paul was allergic to Valium. I mean, it'll get the fucking job done. Well, (laughs) it didn't. Valium and rat poison? It didn't? It did not. Oh, man. It just turned her hungry man to a sleepy man. Yeah. (laughs) So, while she was poisoning him, like, Hilma wanted to have this kind of insurance policy to make sure that he would be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so, she asked her son, Eric, if he would be willing to kill his own father. That's not at all fucked up. No. It's, yeah. That's... (laughs) That's a lot. It's a heavy load to carry for a child. Yeah. Um, And at the time, he was 15. Okay. So, angsty teenager. Okay, that might be acceptable. Yes. So, she suggested um, to him that he either shoot or bludgeon him with a hammer. And the theory was that she he wouldn't get as much time as a minor for mm-hmm. murder for the murder as she would as an I mean, adult unless they try him as an adult right <laughs> which is um, not out of the realm of possibility yeah yeah well he said no good job but Hilma did continue to poison Paul's food. Like this time, as in this time, she was like, "Well, fine." <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Well, I'm just trying to make sure it's going to happen." So she's poisoning the food, but it was not killing him. Like if only she, she knew that like eye solution was. I know, <laughs> super toxic. Was the real poison, to right? Use. So. He is continuously eating all of this poison and just like not dying. You can't so, pass up a good home cooked meal full of strychnine. Strychnine <laughs> and Valium. And so on December 1st, 1980, she had had enough and demanded that Eric. He died. <laughs> I demand you die, sir. But yes, also that. <laughs> um, she was demanding that Eric kill him, essentially. She was telling him that he had to do is he said no why are you gonna drag your kids into your bullshit you know what i mean i know so at that point hilma threatened to kill herself if eric didn't um shoot his father and that she was gonna leave the house she's like i'm gonna go and then i'm not gonna come back until it's done now she left and later she called the house and was like is it done? Did you do the deed? And Eric was just like, I can't. I just can't do it. And finally... Appropriate response. Right. Well, again, Helma threatened not to come home until Paul was dead. And at this point, Eric used a pistol to shoot Paul in the head while he was sleeping on the sofa. The police were called and the Indiana State Police showed up to take everyone's statement. And at this time, they... Eric told police that he had tripped over a rug while he was carrying a gun and accidentally shot his father. 
Okay. This was considered an accidental death, and the case was closed. Like, kind of. Okay. Very. Well. And that's the end of our episode. And that's it. Uh, No, of course not. Um, Following Paul's death... Hilma and her two sons, Eric and John, moved in with her elderly mother-in-law, Elaine Witt, in 1982. So this is Paul's mom. Um, It seemed like her greedy ways were not entirely over yet, though, because while living there, Hilma would often forge Elaine's signatures on her social security checks and take them in and cash them, keeping the money for herself. Of course. Which is, like, great. Also fraud. It's like murder and fraud. Happening here. Uh, Yeah. It wasn't long before Hilma had decided that Elaine needed to go too. Oh my God. And this is a wild web we're weaving. Right. And again, she pulled her sons into the fray to like try to discuss various ways that they could do it and take care of it, including poisoning, strangling, pushing Elaine out of a window, and shooting her. Not all of them at once, but as as various various (laughs) options, um, as like how to take care of the quote-unquote problem. Oh my god. Again, Hilma opts for poisoning first. And starts... It's the woman's weapon of choice, apparently. And she starts poisoning Elaine's food, but it literally had no effect on her. And so I'm wondering if, like, the wit side of the family just has this immunity to food poisoning. Probably. Was she using the same cocktail? I believe so. Oh, God. Maybe not the Valium. Definitely the rat poison. Yeah. You know? It's like... That also was the generation that grew up with a lot of lead paint and shit in their water, so they maybe just have a natural aversion to strychnine. Exactly. Uh, So, on January eighth, nineteen eighty four. Hilma woke her youngest son, John, who at that point in time was also 15. Like, this was uh, three years after the death of her husband. Um, and demanded that her son, John, kill Elaine with. There was far less arguing from John, who complied right away and shot Elaine in the ribcage with a crossbow. Crossbow? Where'd that come from? In Indiana. <laughs> Indiana. Gary, Indiana. (laughs) I get the feeling um, that Hillman knew they wouldn't be able to cover this one up as an accident because (laughs) crossbows. (laughs) Because crossbows and. I tripped over a stoop this time and shot her with a crossbow. Well, and honestly, instead of calling the police, they opted to dispose of the body. Always a sound decision. It took them four months. What? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Four months. To get rid of um, a body. <laughs> yeah. So, again, this is from the appeal document. Quote, the body was cut up with knives and a chainsaw. A trash compactor and garbage disposal were used to destroy some of the parts of the body. Acid was also used to dissolve some of the bones. The remains were stored in the garbage in garbage bags in a freezer. Finally, with help elicited from friends of the sons, the remains were discarded in Indiana, Illinois, and California. Um, For some weird reason, though, Elaine's social security checks continue to get cashed. Well, you know... Once a scammer, always a scammer, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so police looking into Elaine's disappearance eventually caught up with Hilma, Eric, and John after they continued to cash the checks and drain Elaine's savings. 
It wasn't long after that. Um, that John, who at the time of their arrest was 16, confessed to shooting his grandmother with the crossbow. Um, he also informed them that his father's death wasn't accidental. I mean, must you confess to everything? <laughs> he was just like, here's all the stuff. So actually, if you're going to save your died ass. in my house. has been my fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're going to save your ass, that's when you confess to everything, yeah. I guess. Um, so... This kind of like caused them to reopen this case of uh, Paul Witt and re-examine his death that happened a few years earlier. Authorities questioned Eric as well, who confirmed that indeed both murders were intentional and that the entire thing was orchestrated by their mother, Hilma Marie. Both Eric and John cooperated with authorities and gave them all the information they needed, eventually agreeing to a plea deal in which they pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter in exchange for their testimony against their mom. So they had to go into court and testify against their mother in order to get any sort of plea deal. Of course. Right? <laughs> which is like, I don't know how I feel about that. <clears throat> yeah. Part of me is like, she needs, you got to take her down, but like. I wish they both would have gotten more time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like they were young and manipulated by their mom. I don't know. It's a hard thing. I have complicated feelings about it. When your parents pit you against one another. (laughs) I don't know that from experience whatsoever. Yeah. (laughs) You don't even have siblings. What are you talking about? siblings or a parent. (laughs) (laughs) It eventually came out. Um, that Hilma's own mother, Margaret O'Donnell, knew about the plan to kill Elaine as well and had helped to dispose of some of the body. Oh. And she was only charged with assisting a criminal. Hilma herself was eventually charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. (laughs) Just something worth mentioning really quick. Hilma was caught while she was cashing Elaine's social security checks. So you can bet your ass that they also charged her for forgery. Yeah, I would fucking hope so. And for that, she got a 10-year sentence that was handed down before any of the murder charges went to trial. So she got convicted of, like, social security's forgery Mm -hmm. before she even went to trial for murder and got 10 years. Which I was like, okay, good job. Gotta hit her with the book, man. Yeah. Um, During the murder trial, John and Eric testified to the entire plot from their mother demanding the murders to the disposal of the bodies. Uh, Much of the evidence relied on the testimony from the two sons, um, especially in Paul's case, because it had happened three years earlier. And there wasn't really like an extensive investigation into it because they had said it was an accident. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it didn't seem like they that raised any red, red flags with them at all. Ultimately, John was given 20 years. Eric got five years. And Hilma, being found guilty of murder and conspiracy, received consecutive terms of 60 and 30 years, totaling a 90-year prison sentence. There have been multiple attempts to appeal on various fronts. In the case of her husband, Paul, Hilma raised claims on appeal, including restricting cross-examination of state's witnesses, alleged, uh, alleged giving of additional instructions to the jury during deliberations, refusal to give appellants tendered instruction number one, sentencing and sufficiency of the evidence. All of these claims were denied. In Elaine's case, the big appeal argument had to do with the inclusion of evidence from uh, the shooting of Paul Witt, 
evidence like that is typically brought in to show a commonality between crimes. But Helma was arguing that the two crimes were completely different in modus operandi, which they weren't really... Like, they basically had the same M.O. I mean, they could argue that they were trying, that she was trying to kill the mother for money strictly. And that the other one was more out of, like, a, you know. I guess, but, like, both methods, I mean, she both, both times she started with poisoning their food for a while. Yeah. Which, again, that wit side of the family, you're not going to poison them, apparently. Iron Um, stomachs. For Mm -hmm. real. Uh, So, she also argued that there was some uh, prejudicial and unrelated testimony and that the prosecution made inflammatory remarks in the presence of the jury impeding her right to a fair trial, sufficiency of the evidence, and like a few various other things. All of these things were denied. In the end, Hilma's sentence was upheld and she began serving out her sentence. The most recent thing I've been able to find about Hilma Marie Witt happened Uh, in 2008 when she went to court to ask for a modified sentence. At the time, she was 58 and she was representing herself in court. Again. I know. How many times do we have to say this? Don't fucking do that, okay? Yeah, but at that point... Unless you were a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like, I wonder if just at that point she... At this point, she'd already been in jail for like 14 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. She probably didn't have money to pay a lawyer. You know, at that age, it's either... Your kids supporting you, which her kids were either (laughs) in jail or no longer around, Mm -hmm. and or your family supporting you, which you've killed. (laughs) Exactly, you've killed the rest of them. Yeah. So sometimes you have no choice to do it yourself, and this was just for like a petition hearing. Mm -hmm. However, her theory was that she had found several errors in her trial transcript and was hoping to have her sentence reduced from the ninety total years that she had. The court found that the majority of the errors were minor typing errors from the when the, like the transcripts were originally made up. Hama also tried to present a letter that she had received from her son John Witt, who had died since his imprisonment. Um, the letters she said showed that he had admitted to lying in court. Even if this was true, the court found that these would be considered hearsay right? um, and would not be accepted as fact because he's dead. Without being able to bring forward any new evidence, Homa Marie Witt's petition was denied and she's taken back to the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis, where her expected release date is 2029. That's not that long. It's not. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's... (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's a release date on parole. Mm -hmm. Um, so she might not even get out then, but that's right. like good behavior. And honestly, in 2029, so if into ready for some math, are you? Do you got math brain on? I, yeah, in 2008, as much as I can. <laughs> in 2008, she was 58. So now she would be 62. Mm-hmm. No, 72. Right? I'll let you do this. I'll let you do it all on your own. <laughs> 72, 70, 70. I think. 10 years. 2008, she was how old? 58. So 10 years. So 2018, she'd be? 68. 68. Plus two is 70. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so she would be. Fuck you, Janelle. <laughs> Just this trying is painful. To bring it 
to a larger context. You Whatever. Can visualize the math. Whatever. I am visualizing the math, but you're giving me no confirmation that the words that I'm saying are right. I'm trying to work it out. You need to be like, yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. You're just, it's like stone face. I need some confirmation that I'm saying right things. Oh my God. I'm just an artist. Numbers are hard. So she'd be 79 when she gets out. I don't see any reason they wouldn't let her out of prison because at that age, you're not as dangerous to society. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, or heard of, <laughs> I've not seen, I've seen some shit. I've seen some old um, bitches. <laughs> I've heard of people older than that doing the murder thing, so, you know. Getting on that whole murder yeah. bandwagon. Yes. <laughs> anyway, <sighs> if right. you are full on true crime... Purge it with, no, wait. <laughs> ew, just listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm Raygun. And I'm Sarah. And, and we're, we're the Oddballs. Every week, we talk about something odd, spooky, or otherwise weird. Aliens? Yep. Stalker fans? Yep. Cannibalistic tribes? Oh, yeah. Listen to the Oddballs podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. New episodes every Friday. Stay weird. All right, Janelle. Yes. That's been our show. It has. Did you know that? I did. Uh, that's been our show. We have uh, an event. Is this going to be before or after? Hold on. I know. I got to me... look, too. So the next one comes out on the 22nd. This comes out uh, the, the day fifth. after. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. We okay. have one announcement. <laughs> okay. Well, we have one event left. So far. So far. We might yeah. have someone later in the year. We're not yeah. sure yet. We'll, we'll see what um, happens. <laughs> we are going to be in Kansas City July 11th and 12th for the True Crime Podcast Festival. Yeah. Kansas City. Yeah. Home of the BBQ. <laughs> and the Super Bowl winning Chiefs. BBQ, baseball, the Super Bowl winners. <laughs> all the things that I've ever <laughs> seen and or done in Kansas City. Um, so we're going to be there. There's going to be a ton of other podcasts there. They're going to be doing some panel discussions, some live show recordings. We will be there. We might fangirl again. Hard. Oh my God, I did. I normally don't the I second time, so but I did the everyone. first one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It was great. Um, it was a good time. Everybody's so, so nice. Everybody's so nice and welcoming. Yes. So come out to Kansas City. Hang out with us July 11th and 12th. You can find more information about this and how to purchase tickets at tcpf2020.com. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Patreon. Come on over to Patreon. And I know this is like my movie show tune. One of these times we're going to have to do like a live stream of us recording. Oh my God. I don't know. And then people can watch us. Can you hear my do the recording thing? Dumb face. Oh, oh God. Sure. <laughs> I'd make a lot of faces and I giggle and I hit things. I do a lot of dancing. Yeah. And like weird facial expressions. We're very fervent yes. in our recording. Maybe. Yes. We'll see what happens. Yes. We'll see how I feel. But, but come to Patreon. Yes. Check it out. BadTasteCrimeCast.com slash donate. Yes. We'll get you there. There's lots and lots of extra additional content that you cannot hear unless you are a Patreon subscriber. Uh, we've got Cocktails and Conspiracies, a whole backlog of interesting, fascinating holiday, Halloween episodes. It's There's a, a ton of stuff. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you hear about all of our live events first. You get access to everything 
first. Yeah. So if you love BTC, I love it. You want to be part of this fam? Yeah. Hop on over to Patreon. Okay. Subscribe. One dollar will get you in the door. Yes. A dollar a month. Dollar dollar. Dollar holla. Holla for a dollar. <laughs> Um, while, while, while you're there, you can get some merch, badtastecrimecast.com slash merch. We got stuff. We got hoodies. We got t-shirts. Yeah. We got bags. We got pouches. Tank tops. Do it. With stuff. It up. Logos and things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we should probably do some new stuff, maybe. Yeah. We have, we'll how get many? There. We got like four, yeah. four or five logos on there. I don't yeah. remember. Anyway, I think that's, I think that's it for today. That's it for right now. <laughs> our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Cast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. So long. Ten young women have left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another.